0: In the struce. congratulations hi this is david reinstein i'm working at a think tank called rethink priorities which provides advice and does research to people and organizations hoping to do the most to change the world through their philanthropy careers and other ways that they can exert their influence and we're generally associated with the effective altruism movement at the core of this thing called the effective altruism movement and we're one of the organizations one of the small set of organizations explicitly doing research funded by and in consultation with with people who are also aligned with this movement and this set of ideas and we are we and the people funding and supporting us are very interested in knowing things like what are the best ways to use money to support initiatives to improve animal welfare, for example, or human thriving or human survival in the long term, reducing suffering as well. And we're fundamentally interested in doing the best research we can and understanding and reporting the conclusions as, as well as we can, uh, being correctly calibrated in terms of how, how much confidence we put in our, um, our stated findings, uh, and also being as precise as possible, learning the most that we can, reducing uncertainty as much as we can in ways that will be beneficial to people trying to work towards. The long-term social good, good of humanity, good of sentient beings. So the question comes up: Should we be submitting our papers to academic journals? We have many of people on staff are in some way academic researchers. I have a long history of being an academic. Others as well. Um, we many people have PhDs. Many people have do a lot of reading of academic work, have high levels of training. But we don't know everything, and research is improved by feedback. And we also want to know how much confidence should we put in our own research and in the, own, and in the paths we're taking. And are we, miss, we want to know, are we missing a body of research? And also, we want our recommendations to be taken seriously by charities, governments, and others, Thus, we want and need outside credibility or, or outside review. People who aren't in our organization, who don't have uh, a stake, I mean, we can claim we're, we're completely unbiased and, and well calibrated and, and humble, but still, one wants some outside validation. So I was thinking about this, and of course, this is having been in academics for many years, this is something I've often thought about. We have this particular system of giving value to academic work and sort of rating and giving, assigning value to the research and the researcher. And you probably have heard the term publish or perish uh, and the idea that high-value quote-unquote publications are necessary to get tenure, promotions, get hired, get status in the academic world. But the system of journals that we have is based on an old world. It's very, time-consuming in ways that aren't necessarily productive, and if you go to any of these places where academics are talking, they're constantly complaining about the randomness of the process. Anyways, this made me think, okay, can we do better, and can organizations like Rethink Priorities and others in this area, maybe uh, the Future of Humanity Institute, the Global Priorities Institute, Uh, the funder, Open Philanthropy, and its research team who really just really care about the outcomes of the research and what is to be learned from the research and are not tied into existing systems. Can we do something better to get all the things we want and maybe at the same time improve the current system of academic journal publications? So this motivated me to write the following uh, post or what I hope to be a post on the EA forum, but I've currently been sharing around uh, in the Google Doc format. So I'm going to read my own post and some of the comments on it, or my own Google Doc, and even though this isn't an EA forum post, I I anticipate that I will put it up in in some forum in the near Um, future. The Journal by David Reinstein, with other contributors, acknowledged below. The, quote, evaluated project repo, a.k.a. the UnJournal, bit.ly slash UnJournal, for a link to the Google Doc. A proposal for peer-reviewing, rating, archiving, open science, aimed at avoiding rent-extracting publishers, reducing careerist gamesmanship in academia and research, and making research more effective. Whether slash why this particularly aligns with global priorities, effective altruism research organizations. Note, this is a work in progress. I'm trying to explain the situation, mainly to people in effective altruism research aligned, effective altruism aligned research organizations. I would love your feedback on this possible initiative. I've integrated some helpful feedback already mentioning people below. I'm particularly wondering who else is in this, quote, space that we might join forces with. I presented this informally at the Global Priorities Institute on May 4th, 2021, and plan to integrate some of the feedback below. And below this, I list some potentially related initiatives and groups. Um, So in terms of journals, paper series, open publication and review, we have. Berkeley Initiative for the transparency in the social sciences open policy analyses, in ampersand vertebrates in the life sciences, preprint review initiative, pre review. Uh, eLife published and review, F one thousand, Pure J, Science Open Research Hub Open Science Community. Um, And I return to discuss some of these below, and then. uh, other organizations supporting this in general include IGDOR, the Open Science MOOC, uh, Open Evaluation Syllabus, the Bullied Into Bad Science Campaign, O-O-E- sorry, QEIOS, What We Learned Doing Fast Grants, uh, the future this group, Patrick Collison, and Better Science Registered Reports. Thanks to comments and suggestions from Edo Arad, Sergey Frolov, Giorgos Kaklamanos, Paolo Mazuzzo, Ben Smith, Gavin Taylor, Peter Slattery, Paolo Crescetto, Nathan Young, and others. Where they have added content, this is acknowledged below. Next section, key points. And there's a link mapped into what I call a very boring slide presentation uh, shown at the GPI luncheon. The key points, one, academic publishers extract rents and discourage progress. But there's a coordination problem in escaping this. Funders like Open Philanthropy and EA-affiliated researchers are not stuck. We can facilitate an exit. Point 2. The traditional binary quote, publish or perish system wastes resources, wasted effort and gamesmanship and adds unnecessary risk. I propose an alternative, the Evaluated Project Repo, or the UnJournal, a system of credible evaluations, ratings, and published reviews linked to an open research archive slash curation. This will enable, this will also enable more readable, reliable, and replicable research formats, such as dynamic documents, and allow research projects to continue to improve without paper bloat. I also propose some escape bridges from the current system in addition to this entirely new, let's say, proposal, which I admit has some antecedents and others working in this area. Third key point, global priorities in EA research organizations are looking for feedback and quality control, dissemination and external credibility we would gain substantial benefits from supporting and working with the evaluated project repo or with related peer evaluation systems, rather than only submitting our work to traditional journals. We should also put some direct value on results of open science and open access and the strong impact we have in supporting this. In other words, these things may have particular value supporting this and facilitating open science and how this proposal and things we do um, foster that may have direct global value in and of itself, which we should care about. And of course, some recent, at least one recent post by Cecilia in the EA forum gets into this. First section. Title, peer review, slash rating feedback, publication archiving, and metadata are important for rigorous research and its applications. But, point one, we don't need no stinking traditional publishers. That's a, that's a, a parody of a line from a movie that I never actually saw, but it was famously parodied in many other situations like Mad Magazine, so being catchy here. We don't need traditional publishers. Point one. For-profit publishers such as Elsevier and Springer Verlag play virtually no useful role in the research and evaluation process relative to working paper archives, while extracting resources from researchers and the educational sector. Academics do the research, write up and format the papers, review the papers, and serve on editorial boards with little or no compensation from the publishers. The publishers maintain these rents because researchers, universities, and other players in this sector face collective action problems and fail to escape this bad equilibrium. Ask virtually any academic who has been through this process. These publishers are a pain. We can and do present our research in very nice, attractive formats in working papers that we already share and have archived on a range of sites. Uh, This is at least true in the economics field that I'm familiar with. When we go to read research, we often download these working papers instead of the final quote published paper in the journal to save the time-consuming login. But when we need to get our paper finalized for publication, in the aforementioned usual suspects journals, there is a whole song and dance of formatting that we need to go through. This can take hours and tedious cor- can take hours and tedious correspondence and form filling. Journals don't do a particularly good job of copy editing, and don't get us started on the consistency of the numbers reported. In statistical tests in published journals. The latter is a joint failure of the revision and publication quality control process. And here I link a paper on the presence of statistical reporting errors in, psycho- in psychological research. And you'll see some really shocking statistics on errors in fields that in fact are life and death, such as medicine and epidemiology. If you, if you read some of the work presented at at some of these open and meta-science conferences. Journals again. And they are charging a fortune for journal access to universities who feel they have no choice but to pay up. And they make staggering staggering profits, the journals do, link to a Guardian uh, article or opinion in the Guardian. Meanwhile, poorer universities and researchers without this access can be locked out. Uh, footnote here to discussing how this is perhaps less of a problem in economics with working papers, but there's still some inconveniences of not having the most recent version in all cases. How much are they charging? Mark C. Wilson estimated a subscription cost of $1,800 United States dollars per academic research staff member in New Zealand, on top of any submission fees and article processing charges for authors. The State University of New York was paying $2 million per year, which is roughly $250 per staff, for Elsevier, one journal alone. And here I sum this up, this this first point. The cost benefit, colon, resources taking out of the sector and time-consuming hoop-jumping. We can recover these in a better system. Okay, now I don't think that that is the most important problem, but it is a problem and a potential, a problem solved yields a potential gain. Um, Edo Edo Arad gave me some feedback on this section. Uh, Thanks for that. Uh, And uh, I responded to it in some detail, and also incorporated some of that into the comments. Uh, He says that um, the role of the journals is to disseminate to relevant people, and the companies do that. My counter was that, well, yeah, working paper archives can do just as well, basically, and the filtering and standards can be done through other systems, as I mentioned below, and that this is different from the books market. Uh, For one, they pay the authors of books. That's a separate issue of copyright I'm not going to get into. And also people do still like hard copy physical books. Okay, so the first major point of uh, why we don't need the journals or why peer review, etc. is important, is one, the first point was we don't need the traditional publishers. The second, I entitle Rate and Give Feedback, Don't Accept slash Reject. And uh, Sergey Frolov offered a nice comment on this, uh, saying, I agree that rejection should be made obsolete, uh, but there's still a point, needs to be a point, at which a paper is considered to have passed peer review, requiring some consensus, etc. And I, I give a, a response to that in the comments, which I think I mostly incorporate below. Rating and feedback is better than an all-or-nothing, except-reject process. Although people like to say peer review is not binary, and here I link a, a Twitter post or a Twitter response, the consequences are. The consequence of peer review usually is binary. We use, quote, publication in top journals to measure two main things. First, policymakers, including important regulators like the FDA and journalists, use these to assess whether research is credible and reputable. Second, universities and other institutions use this to guide hiring, tenure, promotion grants, and other rewards for researchers. So it's a tool trying to do at least two things. One is to credit the research, assess the research. Two, to reward and credit the researchers. Here's a sidebar comment. Did you know, more often than not, academic economists speak of the, quote, supply of spaces in journals and the, quote, demand to publish in these journals? And I give a link to to a Twitter discussion. Who is the consumer here? Certainly not the perhaps mythical creature known as the reader. Here's the problem. This, this process, can be incredibly slow. In economics, it is not unusual for it to take six years between the first working paper that is publicly circulated and presented and the final publication. During that time, the paper may be substantially improved, yes, but it may not be known of or accepted by practitioners, and during that time authors get little or no career value from it. As a result, As a result of this, second point, researchers and academics spend a tremendous amount of time gaming this process. Um, I, David Reinstein, have been in academia for about 20 years. Around the coffee pot, cafeteria table, research conferences, etc., roughly half of what we talked about was the actual theory, methods, and results? No. What we talk about, we talk about who got into which journal, and how unfair it is? Which journal should we be submitting our papers to? How long are their turnaround times? How highly rated are these journals, and, and how are these ratings changes changing? We offer tips on, and I'll give some links here from Twitter, on how to, quote, sneak into these journals. There's a lot of pressure and even bullying, and here I link bullied into bad science campaign, to achieve these, quote, publication outcomes at the expense of important research and careful methodology. And some footnotes from Paola Mazzuzzo, who has some very uh, dramatic experiences. She was told that publication in Nature Cell Science was more important than everything else. She says, this game takes away the creativity, the risk, the right to fail. The last is, for me, personally very important and often underestimated. Science is mostly messy. Whoever tells us otherwise is not talking about science. That's a quote from Paolo, Paolo Masuzzo. So research, as an academic, spend a tremendous amount of time gaming this process. So the process is slow. As a result, researchers spend a tremendous amount of time trying to game it. And it also, third point, leads to a lot of randomness in outcomes, leading to the cream to not always rise to the top making research careers much more stressful, and drive it which drives out more risk-averse researchers. Uh, this, the, the footnote I mentioned was, was in response to this. Um, and finally, my final point, point D, a lot of the feedback in this process is in fact wasted. And a lot of reviewers' time is wasted as well. Uh, and a lot of effort is spent trying to overly curry favor with potential reviewers and editors. So it's this to me, actually, the second block of things in this process, in this journal process. To me, I think this is where most of the harm of journals and the current process comes in. It's just taking, sapping so much of our energy, this this game playing Um So you could speak of, I think, is it Benford's law? I always forget the name of of which law we're talking about here, but the law that when you change the incentives, uh, or that, that you'll get the thing you incentivize in excess, something like that. Okay, my third point, the third thing we don't need, is dynamic documents and living projects are better than cold, dead, quote, papers. Pete Slattery, quote from Pete Slattery, says, it is incredible that we still use PDFs, and that we make such poor use of new tech. The frozen paper is not always the most useful way to present and develop research and open, robust, transparent science. There are often better formats, particularly for work involving data, math, and coding including web-hosted dynamic documents with continued time-stamped updates. In particular, these allow and encourage but do not require, and I added that do not require in response to some concerns there. There's a footnote about that. These allow updates, corrections, and using the Japanese word kaizen, continuous improvements in light of new evidence, developments, and techniques. Instead of today's Uh, Someone raises some comment about the paper or something that could be improved. Who cares? Uh, Leave me alone. I got my publication. I don't need to go on and... There's no reason to to go on and do anything about it. Um, Also, better formats can yield easier-to-read content, as in Wikipedia, blogs, and most of the World Wide Web, letting readers click or hover to open-expand explanatory and detailed material, Easy hyperlinking of comments, twists and turns uh, and uh, to, to opt optimal session, sections and things, full unfolding boxes. Now, of course, journals do allow this to some extent, but not always in the way that researchers, who are often very skilled in presenting these things, uh, would find most helpful in their own cases. A third benefit, transparent use of code and data. They can come here about replicable and robust and credible science. In dynamic documents, the exact code that produces the statistical, graphical, or simulation output can be seen or hidden by the reader, and sometimes even run within the platform. This makes it clear exactly what the presented tables mean. I can't tell you how many times I've looked through a how could this be the result? This doesn't make sense. How was this computed? And what am I going to do, email the author? Big pain, right? If the, if the code is right there, you know exactly what's being presented. It can also reduce errors and make them easier to spot, as well as enabling replications and extensions. eLife's executable research article goes in this direction, as does Distil, although Distil seems to be taking a different path. Also allows collaborative annotation text-level public comments, e.g. using Hypothesis or Memex. Hypothesis.s is allowing, yeah, it's called collaborative annotation on any web-hosted documents. Stuff behind journal paywalls, even PDFs, not quite so much. Facilitating this collaborative annotation facilitates a real dialogue as well as teaching learning and learning that can surmount the limitations, physical and social barriers of real-time and in-person communications, C linked, eLife's text-level, public comments. Uh, and then I say C distill.pub, uh, which focuses on machine learning, for an example of exciting cutting-edge formats. And I give a dynamic uh, link here to something that should display as an animation if I had the right format here, An interactive playground for T-SNE dimensionality reduction helps readers develop an intuition for technique and where it is best applied. And here you should see something illustrating the one component of the the T-SNE algorithm. Finally, for this subsection, the traditional, quote, frozen paper as endpoint may not even be yielding good science. Even the most prestigious science journals—and here I link a paper uh, backing this up—may, quote, fail to reach a high level of reliability. Yes, there is some retraction and some evidence that this retraction does have an effect on citation rates. However, largely retracted and largely debunked results are very difficult to extract from the public consensus sort of like phantom statistics, you may have heard of that, and their authors seem to suffer little loss of status. Some examples include power posing, that standing a certain way will, if I remember correctly, increase the way you're perceived in your success. This is by a researcher, Cuddy, I think Amy Cuddy, reconsidered by, and here's the link to the paper, basically debunking this, Simmons and Simonson. Uh, settler Mortality, this paper claiming to have found one of the most or the most important roots uh, that institutions drive development. And they use this instrument, settler mortality, driven by uh, diseases. So this paper, which was super prominent in literature by Achimolu et al., was basically debunked by, debunked by David Albuie. Uh, the China, China gender imbalance stemming from hepatitis by Emily Auster, which was debunked by Avi Ebenstein and others, and evidence for extrasensory prescrep- pre- perception, ESP, of BEM's work. Now, the people whose work have been debunked are largely still very prominent and I would say in many cases not substantially hurt by the fact that they prominently published and stood behind research that was shown to be substantially flawed, perhaps in ways they should have realized at the time. Um, and here are a few side comments on this section, uh, well, actually, no, a few, uh, footnotes. Well, first the side comments from Ido Arad, um, a problem with rating is that it could make it more difficult to review well. Uh, for example, he cites a paper, um, makes the case that quality of, that the quality of reviews are bad and offers ways of repro- remedying it. And if the rating system isn't very rigid then it just adds some complexity if it's not like a one to five star system however if you fill in some scoring multi-dimensional rubric it will guide the reviewer better and allow for easier appeals but may not be flexible enough this seems solvable though and i say agreed about the solvable at least i don't think i have the perfect answer but i think we can do substantially better and there's some obvious dimensions directions of obvious there's some directions of obvious gains And I think ultimately being published or not published in a journal that's given a particular ranking and spent a lot of time, we spent a lot of time giving metrics to these journals is in some sense a unidimensional ranking to begin with. So what I'm proposing wouldn't make things substantially worse and I think would make them substantially better. Uh, Some of the footnotes, um, some of the footnotes uh, on my my comments and comments from others, Um, uh, I, I already mentioned the caveat, uh, Laura suggested that researchers are very mobile. One paper cannot be open for five years or so. I talk about the open projects. Researchers also get fatigued. Thus, an established endpoint can make this more attractive. I responded, in many cases, researchers will prefer to keep work in the same area and improving it in the same place rather than feeling compelled to rehash it in a new place and sort of vomit more papers saying the same thing. Uh, I think this is, this is Laura, is she in medicine or economics? Anyways, also in economics, physical moves tend not to deter continued projects and collaborations, which was a concern that, that she had raised. Um, and I think that by changing the system, we will also change the way that people are evaluated and, and hopefully not, if they can be have their work evaluated at intervals, they won't feel compelled to uh, they'll get credit for that and won't feel compelled to sort of terminate projects. Um, okay, that, that's not exactly getting at her point, but I, I think I did address it in the, in the footnote. Uh, Renee Becker's list is instructive here, another footnote, when I talk about misfinding mistakes in, in that the dynamic documents can allow mistakes to be found. Renee Becker's provided a list uh, linked on his, his WordPress, one of which says, won't I look like a fool when others find mistakes in my code? No, on the contrary, you will look like a good scientist when you correct your mistakes. Here he links Retraction Watch. Instead, you will look like a fool if you report results that nobody can reproduce and stubbornly persist in claiming support for your result. Second section, how can we do better, and what does this have to do with effective altruism and global priorities research? There are some new players in the research game. Organizations doing research in the public interest, particularly those associated with effective altruism, do not need to be locked into this system. Parentheses such as Rethink Priorities, the Global Priorities Institute, the Future of Humanities Institute, and work supported by open philanthropy. We are less careerist and more collaborative than most academics and laboratories. We are unusually focused on making an actual positive impact on the world. We care about the results, applications, usefulness, reliability, and calibratedness of the research. We are less locked in to existing systems and hierarchies. We are less willing to shell out for journal access and publication fees. Yes, some journals actually charge the authors Uh, the researchers who are the ones actually creating the content they profit off of, to publish in their journals. Large fees to enable, quote, open access are also common. Tom Sawyer would be proud. In addition to wanting an open and efficient system for our own research work, for our own research work and our research consumption, there are also direct reasons we in EA particularly should want to promote open science and open access which I will discuss later. See also C. Tilly's post, which is linked here, entitled, Why Scientific Research is Less Effective in Producing Value Than It Could Be, colon, a mapping, a post which I read in a different uh, recording episode. What we want from the academic publication process or from something equivalent. Feedback and quality, one, we want to actually do good research and have an understanding of whether it is good. This requires feedback from experts both within and outside of effective altruism organizations. Two, credibility from academia. We want policymakers, the media and others to take our research seriously. I believe they mainly defer to academic standards on this. If top professors and universities put stake in forms of peer review and publication, so will the decision makers and doers. Three, dissemination. We want our research to be accessible by academics and others searching Google Scholar, the web of science, etc. Four, supporting the careers of academics who are collaborating on research with us. And here there's a Comment from Nathan Young. I think, he says, I think this is underrated here. Unless there's a good way for academics to get money and prestige in your process, the process isn't going to work. My response I agree to an extent, and thus I propose things like non exclusivity. But I claim this is to some extent endogenous, a matter of coordinating on a new equilibrium. If we have a rigorous evaluation process, then this process will be valued and rewarded. And two, to a lesser extent, what I am proposing is also for effective altruism and think tank organizations that do not themselves need to achieve academia-driven metrics, although they may be working with people who in fact are. Proposal. The Evaluated Project Repo a.k.a. a journal-independent review service. The evaluated project repo, I also recall unjournal, should, and here's a list of things that I I say it should do, and this is sort of a, a tangible proposal, accept submissions of research in any format that is readable and clear and can be evaluated and seems to hold some promise. Authors will pay a small, sliding-scale submission fee to cover reviewer compensation, or they can use credit for their own previous service work, reviewing, etc. Um, These submissions should be non-exclusive. We will not be claiming copyright, and the authors will be allowed to later submit their work to other journals if they so choose. Note that some of the things that I that I say, cite, including this one, are available in some format for some you know disciplines uh, through different systems. So, for instance, there is something called Review Commons, independent peer review before journal submissions. Reviewcommons.org, which seems fairly promising. Um, I need to look into it more. I don't think it allows submissions in any format. Um, you know, I don't think it has all of the things that I'm looking for. And most crucially for me, it's only in a small number of, uh, of fields. For instance, it doesn't seem to cover social science, economics, finance, business, uh, policy, as far as I know. Uh, but yeah, there are initiatives, and I'm trying to explore what that space is and figure out what I can do, what we can do, and how to help facilitate such initiatives so that these things become a practical standard rather than this sort of exotic special thing that one can do that, that people don't take necessarily as seriously as they should. So the first thing that I say the evaluated on let's just say, should do is accept submissions of research in any format, even, let's say, links to URLs where a journal is clearly, sorry, where an article or a piece of research is clearly displayed and hosted. Maybe it's a dynamic document or something of the sort you see in distilled.pub. Maybe it's linked to a piece of software, interactive, etc. So, the unjournal should accept submissions of any format, um, because we will be curating, we will be putting a link putting to these things, we will be offering feedback on these things. We won't be publishing it in the sense of it being in a printed journal somewhere. The submissions should be non-exclusive, and um, I, there's a footnote to this. In the longer term, the hope is that the proposed platform and evaluation process will make the latter step, that is the step of submitting their work to other journals, OTOS, replacing the gold standard of a journal publication with the credible, quote, fiat money of an evaluated project repo, bit of a mouthful, unjournal rating. However, in the short term, we recognize that some traditional journals request confirmation that the work has not been, published elsewhere. Still, in economics and many other fields, pre-publication mimeos and uh, publicly hosted working papers are the norm. In any case, we will make it clear that the UnJournal slash EPR is a working paper pre-print project platform that allows pre-reviews. A lot of p's there commenting and ranking not a quote journal and thanks to gavin taylor for uh suggesting i emphasize this point so the first bolded po- point was what the idea that journals should accept su- submissions that they should be non-exclusive the next bolded point is what is the management of the journal or the unjournal going to look like uh management identify editors or others who and others who can handle submissions Uh, fulfilling the role that editors play in, in traditional journals. Of course, I'm open to other innovative ideas. Editors can screen projects that are of good enough quality and presented well enough to enter the system and can identify experts inside or outside our network to review these projects and possibly artificial intelligence and natural language processing and other tools can help identify experts I think there's been a lot of innovations in that area recently. Man, uh, Management also needs to gain funding and give recognition to funders while avoiding conflicts of interest and apply for grants f- for this funding only where these grants have a low cost to apply and come without s- strings attached. Uh, this is necessary to cover the small amount of overhead so Hosting costs, uh, maybe covering some expenses for editors. Of course, paying uh, for referee work where that isn't covered by submission fees. Um, gaining, if we have to pay to gain access to certain databases, there will be a certain amount of overhead. Um, I, I don't think it's as as much as the, and I've seen some reports on this, I'll put a link, I don't think it's as much as the journals would sort of have you believe is necessary, the, the traditional publishers. Finally, uh, manager, the management needs to give reviewers and the organizations that set aside time for them to do this reviewing incentives or credit for writing reviews. Um, and there's a lot of discussion in the comments about ideas for reviewer credits, whether it would work, whether it would work better than um, just paying cash, whether requiring people to do reviews, one idea is that requiring people to do reviews in order to submit a certain number of papers might be a way of getting around the inequities uh, in terms of some people having money or groups having many more resources to pay for submission fees, etc. cetera. Um, That could be a sort of a form of a sliding scale, Uh, but I think I discussed that elsewhere. Okay, the next bolded is review. So we had accept submissions, management, and review. Review text containing written feedback and evaluation of the work should ideally be made public. Although we might allow authors to opt out of this, this is actually very much central to the, to the idea, the idea that the feedback would be completely open, which will allow outsiders to get a really nuanced perspective of what the issues and limitations are, how the research was perceived, not just a single number, which I also obviously am advocating, uh, single not just a single metric, but also a, a discussion of, of the limitations and, and strengths in different Here, Edo Arad notes open feedback could discourage researchers from submitting their work. So I responded, "Well, some authors will be discouraged, others will prefer to have this out in the open. As an author, I can't gain the benefit of saying, look how pretty good my reviews were, without also being willing to show the less good ones. Um, just what I was suggesting. People and institutions will judge this in context. E.g., if this author has agreed to post only 10% of the reviews she received, then the posted reviews will be a less credible signal compared to an author who has committed to allowing them all to be posted. So I think there's a very strong case that the review should be made public. But what about should the reviews be signed? Um, However, the reviewer can remain anonymous, the person who reviews the paper or the article or research project can remain obvious, anonymous, or the review can be signed. And this should be specified, um, whether it's, it's it's going to be anonymous or, or signed. There are strong arguments in either direction. Signed reviews present a form of reviewer accountability, so that the reviewer actually is has to give credible arguments for why they're making the points they are, for why they're rejecting or accepting the paper, etc., and will want to look, uh, to want to be informative in doing so. If they're signing and making their review public, signed reviews present a form of reviewer accountability, and foster dialogue between reviewers, authors, and others. However, anonymous reviews may be considered more credible and allow more honesty in some cases, as they can sometimes avoid issues of conflict of interest, favoritism, and intimidation. Uh, and what I think is key is that authors may be allowed to request the type of review that they prefer with cre- with that being made clear upon publication of the work and the assessment. And if one thinks that uh, signed reviews are less credible, well, the author is making the decision whether they want to gain that sort of credibility if they think that, that it comes with that. Um, Reviews, sh- reviews should also have a rating system, um, which we can tie in credible ways to more traditional, quote, publication outcomes. For example, reviewers should be elicited to compare the projects and papers they evaluated to these standard outcomes, or standard publication, i to say to these. For example, which of the, you might ask them, which of the following publications would you consider equivalent to this work in a tenure evaluation? We could also offer prediction incentives for this, um, tying into prediction markets. So particularly in the first incarnation, uh, where we're thinking the papers will be later submitted to more traditional journals, you could ask the reviewers to predict and maybe even incentivize them to predict where they think it's going to ultimately be published. There's a lot of issues involved in that. One, the review itself could be endogenous to that, and we must carefully avoid conflicts of interest in doing so. You know, the reviewer, if there, there are scholarly prediction markets, um, I've, I've been a participant in one. One was run by DARPA. Uh, another I think is called the, I'm not sure they're doing the same, the social sciences prediction market. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you obviously wouldn't want that to sway the reviewer's incentive or hurt the market by having an inside source, etc. I hope to add more about the ideas of prediction markets and incentives and uh, about pay versus intrinsic motivations for things like doing reviews. There's some, at least one paper, suggesting that if you pay reviewers based on promptitude, they are more likely to submit the reviews in a certain amount of time. But there, there isn't, as far as I know, much work, and I, you can imagine the difficulties, assessing the quality of academic review in response to different kinds of incentives. The next thing to do is, quote, publish. Provide all work, including published reviews, with a DOI, which I just reminded myself, is a digital object identifier. Uh, in, and in fact, to some extent, that is being done a little bit at places like Inago and Pub, Publons, Publons. So provide all work, including the reviews that are published, with a DOI. Uh, ensure that papers are available on all relevant archives. Um, and I've talked to several people and they, they say that this is possible. There's, there's nice ways and tools and platforms for doing this. The idea is to get it in the system, so it'll come up in searches and it'll come up in things like bibliometrics um, and on some of the citation engines. Implementation. Uh, DOI and archiving we need we need something for digital objects, not just for uh, collections of texts or files, even. So we need something a DOI for archiving for digital objects, including hosted pages that are uh, dynamic documents. Uh, guidelines and proposals, and I I have a separate link to another uh, set of discussion there of, of how to do this. Uh, Georgos mentions a GitHub guide to making your code citable with an integration with Zenodo. Uh, I think this works for code. Does it work for manuscripts? Uh, okay, he answers below to some extent. Uh, so I'm not gonna get too much into the details, but he proposes, uh, and I discuss in the link document, um, I discuss in the link document uh, some of the issues there and how the setup could work uh, with, with time stamping a project, uh, working perhaps with a, a Git repo. Uh, my sense is that this is something that can be done. There might be a few hiccups, but it, it has been done in other contexts. Okay. Implementation, uh, DOI and archiving for digital objects like a dynamic document, guidelines and proposals were just discussed. Do a little bit of promotion of these papers, target audiences, academics, policymakers, students, general public. For example, we wanna make sure that this work has at least as much chance as a standard journal article, quote, to gain academic citations, to influence policy and to be picked up by the media. Public uh, still involves curating two links for each project. Uh, the number one, the project as reviewed in a frozen form. So from the date that it was reviewed. Uh, so we know what has been evaluated. We don't have a moving goalpost, as they say, and two, a uh, secondly, a link provided by the authors to all future updates of the research project so that you can look at not just the paper that was reviewed but if the author has updates that maybe haven't been reviewed rated you can look at this cutting tip edge of the spear Uh, paolo crocetto says this is nicely solved by the wiki method you get the last version up front but for each page you have the history of edits and lots of additional data and metadata here reviews if the repo follows the wikipedia method up front you see the current status of the paper, but history interviews are one click away behind the main page, and you need a single link and not two, and a single DOI, and that's worth thinking about. Um, it sounds like it's a worked, a solved problem. And uh, repeating myself a little bit, publish all the reviews of the paper along with this. Okay, after getting an evaluation, authors may As noted, submit their paper to a traditional journal if they so wish. They can submit a response to the referee's feedback and adjust their paper or project accordingly, noting the changes made. This is the standard revise and resubmit uh, process, or even that that dumb thing called reject and resubmit. Uh, They can also continue to update their paper and project, continue to work on their research. After a suitable, maybe required possible waiting period, Uh, they can submit again to the UnJournal to get another evaluation. But, you know, they won't be wanting to flood it with asking again and again and again because there's a cost. You have to pay something to cover the reviewer's time. And because the more more reports I get, it will dilute the signal of my very good reports ratings. Okay. Who would be willing to participate in this? Who are we? The we I keep speaking about. So I say EA, Organizations and Aligned Research, perhaps a subset of the researchers listed here, link in post to a list of EA-related organizations, as well as researchers involved with open science and open access, and yes, researchers who are willing to try something new, and perhaps researchers who are just fed up with the slowness and the randomness, riskiness in the standard publication process. I can imagine that if your employer, university, whatever, was asking you to, to really, and you were coming up for tenure or whatever it is, uh, or about to go on applying for jobs, that you might be really keen to get this sort of evaluation and get it quickly. Now, it'll still some take some time to get the reviews back, but I'll get a set of reviews that I can actually present, or a rating that I can actually present in a credible way, whereas submitting to a journal I might just get a rejection that I can't really do anything with. With the who are we question uh, and my response to it, Edo um, Arad asked, do you want this to be EA aligned? I said, it's a big question and I'll try to address this further. My thinking is that this alignment with EA will help push things forward and it is something that I can help facilitate. However, I also see the value of this outside of any EA specific context. Good starting point might be that the EA approaches be that EA approaches, a view of the public interest doing the most good with finite resources, importance, neglectability, tractability framework, might be seen as one of the most important audiences in a similar way of this journal, in a similar way that government policymakers, even perhaps specifically US policies, are currently used to, by academics to justify the impact of academic work. Uh, Edo says, a diff- that makes sense, a different approach would be to target only EA and prioritization research in the hope of addressing mostly epistemic problems, um, he links a, a forum post there, and only later on consider expanding it, conditional on success to a wider audience with the goal of being a credible and influential publication by itself and also improving publication in science as a whole. So it seems like we're on the more or less on the same page there. Subsection. Escape bridges. How do you change the game? And here I link a series of Twitter posts uh, where I, someone is, is saying that, I think someone was complaining about the open access costs, and I said, uh, direct message me, I can publish it for you for $5, and I even know a place that I can put it up in that nearly everyone in the world can access it for free. And I can put it up along with the acceptance letter so that everyone knows it was P-N-A-S worthy. And uh, -and so-and-so epistem doxa responds, archive plus acceptance letter in supplementary material, then mail editorial board to start a diamond overlay journal. Uh, I believe an overlay journal is something that um, is taking is something closely related to what uh, to what I'm suggesting here, but I need to understand better what's been done under the header Overlay uh, Journal. Um, so the um, when I looked it up for Overlay Journal, it says an overlay on Wikipedia, an overlay journal or overlay e-journal is a type of open-access academic journal, almost always an online electronic journal, but does not produce its own content, but uh selects from texts that are already freely available online the editors of an overlay journal locate suitable material from open access repositories and public domain sources still quoting from wikipedia here read it and evaluate its worth Uh, the evaluation may take the form of a judgment of single editor or editors or a full peer review process public validation of subsequently approved texts may take many forms. At its most formal, the editor may republish the article with explicit approval. Approval might take the form of an addition to its text or its metadata. Or the editor may simply link the article via the table of contents of the overlay journal. So it it might be that much of what I'm proposing here is kind of like an organized overlay journal. Uh, So that seems like a nice discovery that I should look into a little bit more. That said, I don't think it's really caught on in social science, economics, uh, the areas that I'm doing work in because I've never heard of it. I have never heard it mentioned. Well, if I'd never heard of it, I never would have heard it mentioned. Uh, So I think there's, there's still room for bringing people together around concepts like this. How do you change the game? Escape bridges. It is hard to coordinate an exit from the traditional journal system. The risks are high for some, and we need a critical mass to move to and to put value in a new system for this to work. But I think there are some ways we can find bridges off this island and parachutes, gliders, and nets for those who may not be willing to jump out of the journal airplane. Okay, I'm not a literature guy here, metaphors are getting tangled. Here Nathan Young comments, this doesn't feel very fleshed out. A key question for me is can you build a parallel system where people gain some benefit from being in both? Can they benefit in your system from papers published under the normal one? My response, I was thinking more about the other direction, and I assume that's what most people would have been thinking about. How can get it how getting feedback and credibility in quote my system on journal Maybe I should be calling it also the idea of an overlay journal. So how getting feedback and credibility in my system could help people in the traditional system of rewards. Um, How to to relate it in that direction to something that will have value in academia, etc. But it may be a good idea to think about the other direction as well. Should the unjournal also track traditional publication? I think so. It sounds good in some way. I already proposed the idea of our system, quote, giving a rating to traditional referee reports. I'm about to get to that. This could apply to both rejected and to accepted papers. The escape bridge that I focus on is headlined public posting of reviews slash rejections and, quote, ratings of these. As I mentioned above, even a paper that gets a highly positive review From a top journal in which multiple referees are favorable, but is rejected, has little or no value from an academic career point of view, and is not given any credibility by policymakers or journalists. For academics, this is highly stressful. It leads to the dilemma. Do I submit the paper to a highly valued journal that could win me tenure promotion, or or to a much lesser ranked journal that I have a higher chance of getting accepted into? Do you shoot for the moon? Do you shoot for that ski ball hole off to the side? Or just go for the safer bet? Obviously, it would be very appealing for academics to, quote, come away with a bronze medal even while aiming for the gold, and without spending years going through a series of submissions and revisions at multiple journals without worrying about getting, quote, scooped in the meantime. In fact, in economics, a journal called Berkeley Electronic Press Lincoln Post tried a quote "tiered model. It was also open access. before the founders Cooter and Edlin sold out to a for-profit publisher and poisoned the well. A very negative founders effect, you might say. A footnote: A somewhat similar initiative: economics journalsorg was also taken over by the for-profit publisher De Gruyter. Greater bridging steps encourage researchers at EA organizations to take a pledge to post all reviews they receive from top top or or any academic journal. In other words, even if there is no such thing as the unjournal, I can say, "Well, I commit to posting my reviews," and then those reviews will have some credibility. Uh, See discussion below on the feasibility, legality of posting those reviews. uh, Preview, it's probably legal. Next bullet point, commission experts in this bridging step, another bridging step, to independently. So first, encourage people, researchers, to commit to publishing or posting their reviews. Next, or additionally, commission experts to independently assign a quantitative rating to these reviews. For example, this review appears to evaluate the paper as equivalent, as being equivalent to a three-star AABS-ranked publication. That's a business school thing in the UK, I think. It would likely be accepted in a journal in the top 30 ranking according to such-and-such such ranking, such-and-such uh, such ranking, publication, ranking assessment. There's lots of uh, rankings of, of journals. Uh, at least in my field. Uh, of course, we know, all know about impact ratings of journals, etc. Uh, suggestion of Owen Cotton Barrett. The ideal might be to establish it in a way that, w- that it was treated, quote, as a journal, or perhaps even treated as two plus journals so that you can have a high prestige section that is gated by, be- by having sufficiently positive reviews so that people could get the benefits of this without, while not losing out, on the usual prestige benefits of academic publication. See uh, EA Global Slack thread, posted into a public Google document here. And actually, I think I'm gonna make this another workaround, because it's just a little bit separate than my idea. So I've actually renamed that as a second possible escape bridge, which is, I call a regular journal. That is, it will be a journal in the standard sense. You know, maybe we may have to give up some flexibility in terms of publishing things like um, dynamic documents or linking to your own hosting, the overlay journal thing. Uh, a reg- but so it'll be a regular journal, we'll get all the credibility or take over the credentials of, of some existing journal and system with tiered ratings, rankings and hopefully also open review and open access. Um, and uh, in response to um, Owen Cotton Barrett's suggestion, uh, Gavin uh, Taylor wrote, yes, this is gold. So my colleague Copper Smout, who is interested in, Cooper Smout, who is interested in prediction markets, suggested having a single submission site that took articles and then reviewers predicted article-level metrics, replicability, originality, importance, etc. Based on that prediction, you could assign those with higher scores to your top-tier journal, and presumably they would naturally get more citations. Okay, maybe do we want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy? Well, that's a that's a longer question than the ones with lower scores. More citations than the ones with lower scores. This would also be equivalent, equate to a higher impact factor for the top-tier journal, or for the articles, or yeah, could you could have more than two tiers. As I said, this was done by Berkeley Electronic Press, uh, but the well was poisoned in that particular case. Could also be done based on review statistics rather than the predictions. Anyway, the key to make is making this a parallel system traditional journals, so that academics can use this whenever they want and get recognition in the traditional system. Then you don't need a critical mass to jump ship. Um, that is the key, and I think these are different routes to the same end state or, or intermediate state my uh, I guess you can question which which is better which which could be done quicker which would allow better bridging um, I, I or well actually we're talking about three different things now one is the unjournal. maybe that's the end state two is commit to making your reports public in traditional journals and then finding ways to have Assessments of those reviews. That's the bridge that I propose. And uh, a regular journal with tiered rankings, which presumably should be open reviews and open access, that's the bridge uh, proposed by Owen uh, Cotton Barrett. And um, I think that would also be great, but what would there be a lot more overhead? I don't know. Could that be done in a way that it would be accessible to people across? many or, or all disciplines I would hope so uh, I, I suspect the limitation again would be that it one of the limitations would be that it would be hard to allow people to submit work in any format including hosted web pages etc although we can all think about nice workarounds for that a short article with a link for example to the hosted uh, dynamic document web page etc in my respo- in response to my uh saying that this is a wasteful dilemma, having to figure out what kind of shots to take at what journals. Sergey Frolov responds, it is true, but the dilemma is often about in what order to try journals, such as nature, then science, then nature physics, nature materials, then nature nanotechnology, then nature communications, then physical review letters, then physical review B, then physical review research, and then what? Um, and yes, you don't have to just choose a single journal to submit to. But my response is that this is a stressful, risky, very time-consuming, and ultimately a waste of our mental effort. We should be thinking about the science and research, and not the journal Candyland Parcheesi game. Next section, kinks to work out, and I put in parentheses, solutions exist. Getting papers into online databases. uh, And apparently that's not so difficult. Gavin says that... Even some of Jason's EA forum posts were indexed on Google Scholar, maybe after someone had cited them in a paper. Uh, Another kink is citation formats for live documents and digital objects. Again, I'm thinking mainly about um, uh, dynamic documents here. Uh, Again, papers with code. Uh, Laura Palma Medina, M. Palma Medina, says the site has a suggestion for this or a protocol for this. She says, one, the citation should include the date when the paper was consulted, and therefore the publication site should be able to fetch show all previous versions slash submissions. Two, databases should be able to count citations to the paper regardless of version cited. Note that citation counts are often used to assess the value of research output. I think we mostly know that. Note, there are a variety of tools available that can help us enable this. Next, coming back to the theme, this is another header, should, Coming back to a theme mentioned before, should EA organizations care about open access and transparent, replicable research for its own sake? Subtitle: EA cross open access equals synergy—a perfect combination, or suspicious convergence? And I give a link to Gregory uh, Lewis's uh, Gregory J. Lewis's entry on, or I think it's a blog post on, surprising and suspicious. Convergence. I argue above that we have the potential to be more collaborative, we EA, uh, to be more collaborative than industry or academics. But that doesn't mean we do or don't have a particular reason to support these objectives, just that we might be able to play a pivotal role. We may be able to form the critical mass and the initiative that puts this over the top. Uh, the straw that repaired the camel's back, rather than broke it. But why do we care in particular, one way or the other? First point, science, empiricism, and careful analytical inquiry will help us understand and address global priorities. Thus, we should favor whatever promotes better science and analysis, as well as the communication and dissemination of these results. Bullet points: There have been quantifications of the cost of non-open science. Uh, open Philanthropy did a landscape review of open science. Uh, also cited is Hauke Hillebrand's in-depth review on meta-science. This organization, uh, Let's Fund better.org. it says a Let's Fund for this project called Sci- Better Science. Uh, Hauke Hillebrand, I believe, is EA affiliated, and he's trying to get funding. Uh, for this particular project, here there's a comment from Gavin Taylor. So one thing I often notice, says Gavin Taylor, is that the big meta science players, Nozick, Ioannidis, and their institutes basically put forward better science as a goal in itself. And of course, science has given society lots of benefits. But I haven't really seen an empirical case put forward that open science, open science, will bring more societal benefits than science as usual. I guess that would be the theory of change for open science. I am fairly confident that open science is good, but it would be nice to make a better argument for it. Not sure if that is something you want to take on here. I responded, not sure I want to take it on fully here, but it might be good to put in a few points. Maybe they're obvious. Uh, Of course, open access and open science are distinct, but related in some ways. Case put forward that open science will bring more societal benefits than science as usual. If open science practitioners are more likely to be correct or to move the consensus closer to the truth, then it surely brings more social benefits than science as usual. No? Seems pretty straightforward, maybe almost too obvious. The case for access would probably be a bit different, the case for open access. The benefits of more widespread access to research in terms of users of users of the research and in terms of making it easier for more research researchers to access the cutting edge and expand it. Paolo Mazzuzzo says, it is a very good point that Gavin makes. I would like to see these cases collected and presented to the community. Something like this, and here she links uh, a post, there's an article um, in publications.europa.eu. It's taking a while to come up. Um, and it says, cost of not, uh, European Commission report on cost of not having FAIR, FAIR, research data um, written by PWC, EU services. And what is this FAIR research data executive summary? Uh, It's it's quite a long summary. Uh, What are FAIR principles? They don't say, F-A-R-R, do I know the answer to this question? Fundable, sorry, findable. So they say research data, this seems like something I would strongly agree with, uh, the sharing of research data research to maximize the value of science they say research data should have four foundational characteristics they should be findable discovery discoverable with machine readable metadata identifiable and locatable by means of a standard identification mechanism findable accessible to both human and machine interoperable um, that's a bit complicated syntactically parsable and semantically understandable Allowing data exchange and reuse among disciplines, institutions, organizations, and countries. And reusable, uh, shared with less restrictive licenses, are allowing the widest reuse possible. Yes, across disciplines, borders. And then this report identifies the value of this, slash the cost of not having it, which seems to me to be a negative sign in front of the other thing. Um, and what kind of numbers do they come up with? not having fair research data costs the European economy, they claim, at least 10.2 billion euros per year, which seems pretty large to me. Okay, let's get uh climb out of this rabbit hole, but interesting and useful rabbit hole. Uh, Edo Arad responds, I agree with everything here. I'd like to add that even if open science is highly important compared to EA standards, then it is not clear whether this is whether this is the best available approach, this being the uh, unjournal, I suppose. My intuition is that either it would be very important for EA, or very important for the open science movement, but not both, as that just seems like a weird coincidence. Of course, he's getting at the um, at at what we just mentioned, the uh, that I what I just mentioned above, the idea of um, a suspicious convergence. Um, but of course, there's also some discussions, arguing that convergences are not always suspicious. Perhaps if it's the same, for instance, the same channel, let's say that both of these are are better for science in general, and that happens to be good for multiple stakeholders. All right, so that was an interesting digression. Um, Back to to my quote-unquote. So the first argument was that science, empiricism, and careful analytical inquiry will help us understand and address global priorities, thus EA organizations should care, NEA people should care. Second, and maybe this is a lot more uh, contentious, where science contributes to risk, open access and trans where science contributes to risk, open access and transparency may help us foresee and avoid this. Um, and Gavin uh, replied, I actually feel there is some tension between open science and infohazard approaches people take in biosecurity. And the Info-hazard approach people taking biosecurity, and I've recently read Toby Ord's The Precipice, and he does make a big uh, deal about, in some sense, the risk of open science when what is being made open is something that presents, I think he calls it info-hazard, info as mentioned here. Uh, there's some other terms he uses to refer to, if even one person has access to it, even if there it could be a, a harmful actor using weapons, bioweapons in this case, to do bad, or it could be a, benefic- a you know, a, a non-malign actor, someone who wants to do good, but one person taking, there, there might be a range of different views people take on how risky something is. If even one person takes the risk, that might be the risk that, let's say, humanity is facing. Anyways, so there is some tension. Uh, so I say, I claim that transparency may help us foresee and avoid this. Perhaps that's something behind the OpenAI project. If I'm referring to it correctly, but this may go the other way when it comes to some issues, e.g. biosecurity, as discussed in Toby Ord's The Precipice. Uh, On the other hand, this may be a red herring. See, further linked discussion is open science in the interest of effective altruism and long-term global priorities. So I link another doc here, and I'm just going to read some of that because I think that's rather important. So in this other doc, I try to at least make a space for fleshing out these issues, uh, with discussion contributed by Gavin Taylor, Eduard Georgos Kaklamakos, and Alex Barnes from a, uh, a chat we had, whatever it's called. So, open science increases existential risk. That's a question mark. Ord's Precipice feels like he says, the open science norms of science make it hard to avoid the spread of existentially dangerous information. I think the question is whether initiatives that promote open science in the current argument in the current environment are indeed posing a risk of dissemination of dangerous information? Or what subset of these initiatives are or are not? What is open science? Okay, let's remind ourselves. The six principles of open science as laid down by someone or other in Wikipedia, I can't remember who the original author of this is, open methodology, open source, open data, open access, open peer review, and open educational resources mechanisms by which open science might increase risk or harm outcomes. Okay, now we're getting at some new things here. Is science too fast? Should we be rethinking whether making science better and more efficient is indeed a good thing? Uh, The idea would be maybe, okay, open science may lead to faster scientific progress, leading to dangerous innovations before we have the wisdom and abilities to harness them. But now I'm not going to discuss this mechanism further as it's represents a broader critique of science uh, and not open science in particular so the question of do we want to slow science down uh, it would be a bit i think it would be a bit strange to say yes we want to slow science down and we want to do it by preventing open science and adding all of these strange barriers and gates that happen to coincide with the barriers and gates set up by older systems of academia and publication etc second mechanism by which open science might increase risk of existential risk, perhaps, or harm outcomes. Open science makes science available, more available to bad actors. Holding constant the speed of scientific progress, open science may tend to make innovation more available to bad actors, irresponsible actors, as well as those with malevolent intentions. The question. Uh, there should be a paper or post that considers whether the six principles of open science, or whatever... The correct uh, you know if you don't believe that to be the correct characterization whatever is the things that open science is promoting as well as the general idea of the quote credibility revolution particularly in social science tend to whether these things tend to promote or hinder near-term welfare and or perhaps more uh, saliently long-term welfare and promoting existential risk So the arguments against open science make science more available to bad actors. So first, that was this—you know—that this is the thing I'm focusing on. Does it even make science more available to bad actors, or is this somewhat of a red herring? One only a small share of scientific work adds to the existential threat. We could easily limit our promotion of open science to domains that seem very unlikely to present such a risk. I would suggest that most social science research the least that I'm familiar with, is very unlikely to present such a risk of being harnessed for bad by bad actors in a very substantial way. Uh, Gavin Taylor agrees with that. Um, And that raises a discussion point, would a closed science movement in synthetic biology reduce the existential threat from bio-risk? Okay, so first idea against, first point against this being bad because it makes science available to bad actors is that's only relevant for perhaps a small share, or at least at least there's a large share that it's not relevant. Two paywalls at journals, you know, I'm advocating for trying to an open science is advocating for initiatives that is trying to remove paywalls and improve uh, increase access to research. These paywalls will not keep out determined actors, but do they add more value in keeping the response to that would be Do these paywalls add more value in keeping out determined negative actors, bad actors, than does their social cost in that respect? But they again they won't keep out determined actors. A terrorist can buy an Elsevier subscription. Uh, I believe Gavin added paywalls are a low bar to clear and can be easily circumvented legally or illegal me- by illegal or illegal means such as Sci-Hub or quasi-legal. Uh, another point is we have other existing systems, which probably we could turn that lever up, let's say, well, turning the open access lever up as well. We have other systems for controlling and classifying dangerous research. Paywalls do not really help. Uh, Gavin, I believe, wrote, these systems may not be applied widely outside of government-ish research, however. Government-funded university research is typically expected to be published in a journal. Okay, but again, the response is, does the paywall really serve as a meaningful barrier? And would there be less costly ways of making such barriers? Uh, Is this even really relevant to a meaningful extent? Three, open science makes science more credible, which is good. That's almost going through that first channel. Uh, But then it makes the average published recipe for a bomb, for example, more likely to work. Um this, Gavin says, this is a key point. Biotech involves a lot of tacit knowledge and currently papers are rarely sufficient to do replications. Even routine in a set, routine assays can be quite difficult to set up independently, which is acknowledged, and he gives a reference to a blog post uh, that this is recognized as a real barrier to bioweapon development. So in some way, the hindering of science uh through not making tacit knowledge public is perhaps keeping bad actors or, or, or some even the bad actors that even may associate with mainstream governments perhaps from developing bioweapons. Uh, the open science idea would be that any published result can be replicated by virtue of open methods and source by someone who's been trained using open educational material. So the only barrier would be cost and availability of supplies Okay, so you might, you know, there might be a pretty strong case against certain norms of open science in the more dangerous, uh, potentially, quote-unquote, hijacked areas of research. Um, so, I, I, my response was, was to this was, uh, it makes the average recipe for a cure more likely to cause a disaster, more average recipe for a cure more likely to cause a disaster that's not really a response, this is a different point. So one, the average recipe for a bomb is more likely to work, which seems like probably universally a bad thing. Uh, although if you have another lever to pull countering this, the open science lever, the net result might be positive. But there's a discussion about that, particularly dealing with the idea of uh, this, um, this uh, what does he call it? He calls it uh, tacit knowledge. Uh, so that I also suggest it makes the average recipe for a cure less likely to cause a disaster. Uh, but the lack of credibility of the research will not be a deterrent to the bad actors who will be less risk-averse relative to the good actors. So this is something I, I thought about when you talked about screening at airports. If, if they do random screening, well, would that really foil a terrorist if a terrorist isn't really risk-averse? But there's arguments on both sides in terms of the calculation. Gavin says true. Gavin says yes, it, but if the bad ra- actors are research constrained, they can't try everything, so that may prefer to try things that can credibly produce disasters. All right, that was the digression, quite a long one, sorry about that. Um, I guess the main point is just that let's just limit, to keep out of that argument, let's limit the discussion here, and I think it isn't that much of a limit. Let's limit the discussion here to assuming that what I'm proposing is is only pertaining to those aspects of research and science that do not have any reason to think that they're causing a, a massive threat of being taken over by bad actors. Okay, so... Um, all right, so going, going back here, why do we care about open access and... Uh, It can help us understand and address global priorities promoting better science and analysis can do that that seems less controversial than other things Uh, the second point is you know hard to know which direction it goes in general where science contributes to risk open access and transparency may help us foresee and foresee and avoid this but there are issues in other there are issues going in other directions at least in some fields finally, and I think this is pretty strong, a pretty strong argument for it, meta-analysis is at the core of what effective altruism and global priorities researchers do. I know this to be the case at uh, certainly at Rethink Priorities, and I think to some extent at other organizations, OpenPhil certainly, maybe GPI to some extent. This, meta-analysis being so important, may be because we don't have the funding to do more primary research, and/or because our goals are different than uh, than researchers in academia, for instance, and we care about outcomes and decisions more, informing decisions more, and developing discipline-specific theory and methodology less, perhaps. Maybe we care less about abstract principles, although there obviously is a large tract of research in some EA organizations about sort of um, meta and epistemic things and how to improve knowledge in general, which does get rather on the theoretical side. But um, I guess now I'm thinking more of the empirical part of EA research. Um, I'm even saying on the theoretical side, I think there probably is more emphasis on how does this theory and how does the philosophy inform our ultimate decision-making process, caring about welfare and risks. Um, this work, meta-analysis, is also super relevant to psycholo- psychological and marketing research into uh, EA attitudes, etc. Something that I'm particularly involved in. Okay, next session, section, uh, which is a little bit more sloppy. Other benefits to effective altruism and global priorities. Bob Fisher writes, to my mind, the main challenge is how to legitimate EA research so that non-EA people do it without even thinking of it as EA. This multiplies the scope of the EA community without having to convince anyone of EA ideas. But it can only happen if there's a way of tapping existing incentives. And I said that I see my proposal as a possible shortcut or catalyst to this, to legitimating research and having people do it or do things that serve this goals without even necessarily signing on to all the principles explicitly. Uh, Why is this a potential catalyst shortcut bridge to this? We provide an opportunity for academic researchers through this unjournal to submit research and gain feedback, peer review, and credibility without having to sacrifice later publication goals. In fact, our feedback will serve as an interim reward that hopefully the universities will value in the medium run. Uh, Gavin says this is reasonable. Science faculties are starting to value preprints, and it's common to include them in grant and promotion applications. Uh, I I said that in economics and social sciences, these are usually not peer-reviewed and are not given as much weight. So our feedback will serve as an interim reward. And help researchers get closer to the traditional journal publication uh, by giving them valuable feedback and exposure. So, pre-publication feedback, pre-submission feedback, etc. In exchange, researchers uh, need, I say, or I suggest, may need to justify why their researchers, why their research is valuable, using EA criteria. This subtly, but importantly, shifts the equation in terms of who arbitrates value and relevance, considering, for example, the importance, neglectedness, and tractability framework linked to open science here. Now, I'm not sure how much to push this latter point, um, and we want to do it carefully and honestly, uh, making it open to the extent that it is being pushed. Uh, Gavin, or being emphasized, or at least being something that uh, authors or researchers may want to address, at least in part, uh, making a connection to. I think these criteria, by and large, are really just focusing on social value in ways at least economists would be comfortable with. Gavin writes, This might also make a bit of a weird dynamic. Firstly, justify to EA criteria, and then have to justify to mainstream criteria if they want a final publication? Many may find that the additional effort outweighs the benefits. And I said, I think it needs to be done carefully, but it needs to be made not too costly. A common dynamic in economics is authors try to prove, hey, look, policymakers care about this, or investors, or businesses, so you, other academics, should do so too. Some journals and and groups demand that. We might be able to tilt this towards, instead of, hey, policymakers care about this, hey, effective altruists and these big, smart philanthropists care about this, so you should, too. So it may not be so much of an additional cost, perhaps an additional opportunity in that sense. Next section, related initiatives and proposals. And this is something I'm going through. I want to put in an air table or some sort of table that clearly states what, where, what the domain of each of these are, uh, what the, ben- I'd like to work with others to do this because it's very difficult to me. What the So to what extent do each of these other initiatives agree with the sort of things that I propose here, or some share of them, um, such as uh, um, not a single reject-accept, but a rating system, such as, of course, open access, um, and such as allowing, not requiring people to have their quote publication or, or thing that gets reviewed be hosted on this separate platform, but allowing it in the format that they most uh, prefer, as long as it meets certain at least acceptability readability standards. Uh, okay, so I'm not going to read all of this because it's it's I'm still mapping out the territory, but and I, and I'd like to get some some help in doing this as well as doing some more. So Gavin, so this section is related initiatives and proposals. Gavin Taylor recommends uh, the connection to eLife. Social, so he says, I want to make a social science version of eLife. Uh, science open also goes in a similar direction um and john tennant wrote a lot about them uh i think john tennant is a what is was a big player in this uh space and would be good to read more about Uh, he makes a lot of strong points if i'm thinking of the same guy about how much journals are taking in relative to the very small cost of actually what they they do or need to do uh research ideas and outcomes has some nice points uh, open science publish experiments pure J f100 f thousand I get to that in a moment researchhub.com. Um, uh, you can they use crypto tokenization which is potentially pretty interesting I see this as a good use. personally I think I see this as a good use of blockchain perhaps using the special anonymity Um or maybe it's a gimmick. I'm not sure. So they provide a way to incentivize desired behavior and help redirect some research efforts more than the absence of the incentives. Um, Okay, F1000 was mentioned, but it's owned by Taylor and Francis, a for-profit publisher. Um, I think it has a lot of limitations. Uh, I don't see how reviewers can rate the merit of the article, which is basically what I think is the most important thing, uh, is is the idea of, of a rating and 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 or public review in some sense uh peer review is anonymous uh um, sorry peer review is not anonymous and i'd like that to be a possibility but that's not the most important thing um another thing that seems pretty weak and lame here is that it costs thirteen hundred fifty dollars for a shorter contribution that almost seems worth it if it's covering the cost of peer review um, for reviewed papers that are equivalent to publications people you know could probably uh cover that but if that is uh, a price that you pay even without peer review which you don't necessarily get any value from uh you don't get any feedback from if it's a, just a feed to a deposit of working paper on our site that seems way too much that's not what the cost of web hosting is uh, in ampersand vertebrates seems like a really cool initiative uh focused on publishing the file drawer which is also you know in general a benefit of what i'm proposing or 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 of having people put i mean in economics people generally are sharing the work but it may not get recognized and if it's not getting a review that's published if it's not getting a rating that's published it may not yeah it may not be taken on board Um, and there is a lot of inefficiencies there because it's so long anyways I, I think I cover this again. He says, my feelings that the key strength of, in Invertebrates is discouraging, encouraging the publication of the gray literature that wouldn't be preprinted otherwise. Uh, Bastian Lemaire of Invertebrates says that's indeed one of their purposes, but it'll be suitable for all kinds of purposes. Uh, their aim is to provide a collaborative platform. Uh, I said I'm reasonably happy with some parts of the model. Um, I would love to see it extended beyond life sciences. So that's one limitation. It's just life sciences. Why why does a publication have to be limited to one discipline? Uh, It's not clear to me. Uh, I mean, you could say expertise, but you're commissioning editors, etc. I particularly like the reasonable fee structure of invertebrates. At least at the moment, 90% seems to be go towards paying reviewers. Uh, But it could change, and I see a few limitations. So it's quasi-for-profit. I'd like some guarantees to insure against a sell-off. We can argue about whether for-profit is is a good thing. In general, I think in in some context, obviously, it is. uh, But I think that it can lead to rent-seeking in ways that are not particularly efficient in the publication uh, setting, or at least it seems to have done so. Um, so I'd like to see stronger guarantees, public funding, and ownership against, to ensure against the sell-off. Um, also, the publication interface, while it looks really good, is somewhat limiting. I cannot submit my own format. I can't submit R-markdown dynamic documents to be reviewed, although Bastian suggested that something in this direction could be incorporated as a spin-off. So if it goes beyond biology, it seems like it might be a relevant and good initiative. Um Right, there's an initiative proposed by Paolo Crosetto in the Economic Science Association discussion forum, which I engaged in. It's pretty interesting. This is experimental economics. Um, and pa- Paolo, um, this is a long thing, stemming from a discussion of what looks to be a sort of predatory practice of journals coming up with special edition of this, special edition of that, uh, which of course has a or, or games, I think, was was, uh, was the idea that, that somehow it was predatory, getting people to submit and pay high, uh, what is it called, publication fees, um, and um, so he he's proposing something, uh, an open repository where everything is published, screened very lightly. See archive or bioarchive, math and biology, I think. Submission to the repository entails also entails submission to the editorial board of Experimental Economics, Journal of uh, the ESA, Experimental Association, uh, who proceeds with usual activity, desk rejections, reports, revise and resubmit, publications. Somewhat in the current system, papers have badges under review, R&R accepted, and these badges can be used to search or filter the repo. Seems pretty interesting and cool. The system could not change much since we do basically the exact same thing as we publish the working papers on our collections, then submit, uh, then upon acceptance, the paper is transferred to a special online collection named Exec Jessa. Uh, so this is what he's proposing. Uh, he's saying you can submit to the open repo, which in, which gives you a submission to this two journals, maybe more, which kind of determine where it should go. Uh, there is a problem since the repo will be limited to ESA-run journals. Yeah, why should it have to be? And this poses the pro- still poses the problem of what to do if I have an experimental paper that I want to submit to the AER, for example. But all in all, identical to what we do, but centralized, easily searchable. There would be no Springer, the publisher taking rents, and open-access paper. There would be open-access papers at no real cost. Seems, it may be a bad, seem a bit utopian, okay? This is a very, I would say, very narrow definition, very modest definition of a utopia that you could... Submit to a working paper archive, and it would be seen by two journals. Okay, but I guess um, economists tend to be a bit conservative in that sense. Okay, under any system, there's a decision to be made about the number of papers accepted. Uh, all right, well that's getting at at something that I don't. I think that's an artificial constraint. I think you can, as you say, rank and rate things. It doesn't have to be a zero one. Uh, there's a lot of just discussions in response to this and in response to other threads. I probably don't have time to read now, but I should come back to it later. So there's initiatives and other, I remember other people being sympathetic to these ideas in economics. Uh, Rene Beckers proposes a continuous, uh, sorry, complete publication model. He has a nice diagram. Uh, I don't know if he has a particular initiative for pushing it forward, but he's just saying this is how we should think about it researchers publish an open repository uh automatic automated quality assessment journal invites so he, okay so he still has journals in his model but he's saying that the, they get into the repo and the journal should be leading the process of inviting submission a sort of flipped uh publication model so then peer review researchers revise updated quality assessments journal publishes research i sort of think some of those steps are unnecessary but it still seems like uh a positive step in the right direction. Uh, okay, scientific knowledge, Becker's writes, so that, that gets a little bit of point two, less wasteful gaming, and some of point three, the ability, I would my points up top, to continue to improve the paper, even after some artificial publication end date. Uh, scientific knowledge, he writes, is a public good. It is not about the advancement of the careers of individuals. And I think this is my response. Agreed, but we we're mainly re- relying on journals, reviews, editors to do the latter. The assessment of a researcher's progress and quality is an important task, but it should be separated from the filtering. So we have one tool to do three things. I think I mentioned that earlier. Journals are filters for the research. What research is good? What research is important? What researchers, what research should enter the policy process, let's say, or the scientific body? Two, uh a metric of what, how good a researcher or an academic is that is used for promotion, universities, tenure, hiring, etc., uh, maybe grants, and thirdly, just a place where you can go to access the research. And it's hard to fulfill all three roles. I don't see why we should expect these traditional journals to do so. Now, this dissemination role is less important, of course, now that there's the Internet. Um, And yeah, as I said, I I disagreed with Becker's final step, journal publishes research. Uh, There should be no zero one, publish or not, in my opinion. Everything should be public and rated. I think you know this because I've said it eight times in this essay. Okay, I did end up reading most of that section, but the point is that I want to go through in more detail some other related initiatives, which again, I mentioned at the top, One that looks particularly relevant to me at the moment is Review Commons Journal Independent Peer Review, Um, but that is only available, if I recall, in a a, a medium-sized set of scientific fields, not including things that are relevant to me. Okay. Um, Discussions and issues at the bottom. So... Uh, Again, I shouldn't read the whole thing, but I have this want to do so. Uh, So putting together coalitions, critical mass, and the coincidence of wants. Peter Slattery, uh, I agree, but I don't have a good idea for how to resolve it other than to get people aware of or thinking about it. So he was saying, uh, or someone was saying how to solve this coincidence of wants problem between uh, people who want to read the literature, authors, Uh, academic researchers, effective altruism organizations, effective altruism aligned researchers. He doesn't know how to resolve it. I said I propose some concrete steps here in terms of escape bridges, but still some first jumps into the water and modest amounts of bravery or lack of cowardice are needed. I had the idea, this is Peter, of papers being published online with public reviews and ratings from three reviewers, but without anyone being able to publish a response in a follow-up post that would also be reviewed or just add to their comments below, potentially with a rating system. Um, uh, This is also something I said that seems very doable. We have models for this interaction and rating in Stack Exchange, uh, which is mainly, I think, used for code, but also for other issues. Uh, It would be good research to move in this direction. Slattery's plan sort of focus on resolving the coordination to bring people together, then to work with the interested people to identify systematic behavioral interventions that could grow and sustain themselves. We can find some champions for more small-scale changes, a critical mass of people to push them through and a pass to scale them up across more areas than to publish work on them. Yeah, I agree. I just want to find some tangible things that we can do. Uh, Ozzy says I'd focus on figuring out a system just for EAs for now, Trying to convince the rest of academia will be a huge pain and mostly isn't even that useful. I already respond to that a bit in some other responses. Uh, some key points in the response to Ozzy is, Guyon, is we may need at least EA-adjacent academics to gain credibility for our research. So we can't just be within the community. Also, as I suggested above, helping to solve this collective action problem of escaping from journals and traditional reviewing systems we'll yield a large social gain in itself and bring us to the table. Maybe some gratitude, um, or at least centrality. I also don't think academics will need much convincing if they can get a credible review without sacrificing the future possibility to submit their paper elsewhere. Recovering some of the same points here. Now, getting to the question of can reviewers post their own papers, sorry, can... Uh, Can authors post reviews of their own papers online? Is that legal? If I get a review from a journal, can I post it? I think so, but I'm not sure. Gavin Taylor writes, you'll probably find this is a breach of most confidentiality for most journals. At least Publons, which is a site to get credit for the reviews that you do as a reviewer, won't let reviewers post their reviews publicly. I've never heard this come up for the reviewee. Not sure what the actual rights involved are and how publishers would enforce them. Uh, and he links an example. You never said my peer review was confidential. Uh, Scientist challenges publishers. Journals should be clearer. Are peer reviewers free to openly share the content of their reviews if journal editors haven't explicitly told them not to? Okay, this is interesting. This is a discussion, I guess, article published in Nature by Kieran Schirmeyer, tenant had... Recommended that the author's new approach to studying fossil faun- seabird fauna should be published. John Tennant, I've mentioned before. Uh, Tennant, who works at Communications at Science Open, he may have passed. I, I apologize if, if he has, and, I, and I'm not mentioning it. Um, an online platform that promotes open access research wanted to receive credit for his unpaid peer-reviewed work, and he submitted, he decided to post the text of that review on Publons, uh, a platform for sharing review, but it was turned down. Elsevier required permission. But okay, that's the reviewer. What if the reviewee gave permission? What does the law say about that? Is this set of law? I don't know. But if you know, I'd be really curious to learn more about this because it seems like a good strategy. Uh, So I I responded to Gavin's uh, doubtful doubt about this. I said, I've heard of some academics who make all of the reviews they get as reviewees public, or at least they post a good number of them with responses. I've heard of Ariel Rubenstein, Renee Beckers, and I think Gilad Feldman doing this. The issue is usually with the reviewers posted in the, these, as the article mentioned above. Paola Mazuzzo says the F-100 research has had this model for years. I'm not sure which model she's referring to. Uh, publication of, 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 of reviews, but can I go ahead and do that as even if I submitted to a journal and got a review that was mostly positive, can I publish that? I don't know if that doesn't have to go with going through the F-100 system. Let me see if I see any more about this. Uh, do they say anything about reviews from outside the F-100? I don't see that uh, You know, publishing those. The new ORE seems to be doing the same thing under the, I think she just means under the hood. Uh, open research environment. This is open research in Europe, sorry. Uh, fast publication open peer review from research st- stemming from horizon 2020 and funding across all subject areas powered by F1000 research. I would think this could be an in- interesting initiative to look into. I'm just clicking on social sciences. Um, uh, this might be something related to what I want to do. Uh, yeah I think I think it is, but it's not the same thing as saying I'm publishing uh, reviews, From that, I got from a normal proprietary journal like Nature, Science, American Economic Review, uh, Journal of Public Economics, etc. So I think the legality of that still has some, uh, yeah, it's still a question. Okay, next discussion submission fees and compensation of reviewers. Uh, And there's some discussion about it crowding out intrinsic motivation. Rasa raised. Uh, Russ O'Keefe and uh, and that th- that's something that I that I've discussed already and and I mentioned that there's some cases in which it doesn't seem at least to crowd it out too much. Uh, role of publishers and the free market, another discussion topic. Cecilia Tilly, uh, have you got input from anyone working on the publishing side? Criticism against publishers seems common, but I have not heard any arguments from the other side. That's a good question. Uh, I haven't i mean i've heard responses from the other side but to be honest i haven't found them terribly credible they're they're sort of don't don't seem to be logically consistent but you know i should give some uh or not logically consistent they seem to be easily rebutted let's say uh, okay so cecilia writes continuing if running for profit scientific publishing is so pro- profitable and so undemanding it should be attracting a lot of competition I don't know anything about this part myself, and I'm wondering if there might be more to it, and if one aims to change the publishing system, it'd be very important to understand the challenges current publishers are facing. Thanks. I replied, I'll try to present the other side when I have a chance. I haven't done so, so I should do a little bit more in that direction. My impression is that the answer to your concern is, one, evidence suggests that these firms do make huge profits but also keep other entrants out through market power, barriers to entry, and of economies of scale slash network externalities. So the competitive markets are not working well uh, for those reasons, I, I would argue. Number two, the expenses taken to win the publishing battle and drive out rivals may come at the expense of profits and dissipate these uh, profits, but this will necessarily involve wasteful expenditure. So. I mean it's a sort of standard argument that in some industries regulation is needed. some industries are natural monopolies uh, maybe some of the answer you know if if you accept this has to do with harnessing the being hard to har- difficult to harness information goods uh difficult to get the full value from information goods to be paid for uh when they can be easily shared um, or the idea of charging a price for something that can be shared for free is, is inefficient. Uh, also, there is a lot of intangibles here that may ha- be hard to quantify, that may be hard to harness. It could quantify them, I shouldn't say that, um, but may be hard to harness in, in terms of externalities to the scientific process, uh, et cetera. All right, discussion of the potential role of prediction markets. Uh, Rosser writes, reviewers could be incentivized uh, I think we discussed this before. I pre- you could This, similar to a prediction market, I predict the paper has a 40% chance of acceptance at the Journal of Public Economics uh, or Journal of Political Economy if submitted there. Uh, and this was mentioned earlier as well. We could work closely with or DARPA's COVID, pre- pr- things like the COVID preprint prediction market. They have some experience that. I don't know how well that worked. There were some limitations there. Conflict of interest concerns, bringing that up again. Um, okay. Uh, Gavin Taylor suggested a Publons, Publons integration. David Rice Bernard, Reese bernard for what it's worth, the COVID preprint market was a, a spin off of the much larger replicationmarkets.com, but that's been shelved. We're going a little bit off on a side here. Now, because they weren't accurate enough, that market was not accurate enough in predicting, he claims, whether studies replicate or not. I think there were some other problems. Uh, the alternate pro- platform replicates, uh, which does something more like the Delphi method, I'm not sure what that is right now, was accurate enough to go to the next phase of score. Just to say that maybe prediction market doesn't work so well here, although there are lots of caveats around non-experts, thin markets, etc. Uh, I responded, I think, that The replication market people did a few things wrong and that made the incentive structure not great. There were way too many things to predict, Uh, I know because I was part of this, and it was never clear exactly what a replication would count as in many cases. Um, And there were a lot of ways to sort of game it that had nothing to do that made you think the ways that you could sort of earn a return that seemed to have nothing to do with actually judging the quality of the research. If there were fewer things to predict, I said, and the definitions were better, I think this could have worked a lot better. Uh, some other some people have been recommending this other platform, which seems pretty credible too. Social Science Prediction Platform, SocialSciencePrediction.org. Um, they're doing a shorter. I think they're they're doing is it real replications and a smaller, um, a smaller set of studies, uh, to evaluate although not all of the evaluations are are being paid um so that anyways that we're getting off on a tangent of a tangent here apologies for that there's another appendix which i won't go over on dois and digital objects i think i mentioned it earlier the with with github guides and zenodo integrations uh as suggested by georgos Kaklima. um all right so thanks for listening uh, I'm just going to give you an outline of of the idea once more, and um, uh, I'm really curious to hear your ideas. Who's doing this already? How can I get involved uh, particularly in social science? where to submit social science and policy evaluation type work that follows these principles? Uh, what how to get this happening? how to get a situation where particularly EA organizations uh, are Getting feedback and credibility for their work, and uh, what am I getting wrong? What should I add to this, etc.? So, let me just give an outline to, to go out with. Peer evaluation is awesome, peer review is a nightmare. The timeline of an academic publication in economics is a normal nightmare scenario. What are the worst examples of this get it published game? Who pays for this? Who puts in the work? How much is it costing? The coordination failure problems, how to break out of it? Universities, we'd love to go open access, but we can't boycott and fall behind the others. Government funders, we want to support open access. But we need to support the publishers and the massive contributions they make to the sector. The research process is too important to tangle with, to tamper with. Grant funders, policymakers, university hiring committees. These publications are what academics see as most prestigious, thus we need to use this as our metric of value. Academics. It's annoying, but if I don't go through this process and publish in these places, I won't get tenure or promotion or my increment. So I need better spend a lot of time learning how to play this game. Here is where the social value is lost. Publishers. Yay, more money! A proposal for a new direction. Working examples. Global priorities and effective altruism researchers. What we need and what we can do. Who we are, and what are our resources? Why is there a synergy? Pick your battles, but this is one to be on the right side of. What can we do better, and what do we have to gain from it? And a proposal for a lightning talk. The traditional binary publisher parish model wastes resources, wasted effort and gamesmanship, and adds unnecessary risk. I propose an alternative related to ongoing initiatives, the Evaluated Project Repo or UnJournal, a system of credible evaluations, ratings, and published reviews linked to an open research archive creation. This will enable more readable, reliable, and replicable research formats, such as dynamic documents, and allow research projects to continue to improve without paper bloat. I also propose some escape bridges from the current system. Academic publishers extract rents and discourage progress, such as the innovations mentioned above. There's a coordination problem in escaping the current systems. However, funders who intrinsically care about research outcomes and effective altruism-aligned research organizations like Open Philanthropy, RP, GPI, Future of Humanity Institute, can help coordinate an exit. I highlight why the EA movement should support open science and this should catalyze meaningful change in the research-slash-publication process. Once again, this is reading from the discussion document, which you can read and add comments to, uh, bit.ly, bit.ly, slash unjournal. And as I said, I hope to bring this into an EA forum post as well. Uh, Thanks for listening, and remember, there will always be intermediate feedback and peer evaluation found in the struce.